Welcome to Adaptation, the podcast that dives into all things self-optimization and self-discovery, helping you be your best inside and out. I'm your host, Steve Katazi, and today we are curiously digging into the world of biohacking with none other than Chris Gethin. Have you heard of the term biohacking before? Do you know who Chris Gethin is? Hey, no fear if it's a no to both, as you will quickly get brought up to speed during the course of this great conversation. If you do know about biohacking and biohackers, what is your first impression? Obsessive compulsive, weird, and wanting to play God by living forever through technology? This space does get this kind of rap, in part because of the name. Well, for me, biohacking is simply an expression of informed health optimization with techniques, technology, supplementation, nature, and sometimes medical procedures. I mean, biohacking could also be as simple as eating an optimized diet that gets the most out of your body. And to be honest, I biohack every day, but would never call myself a biohacker. I just want to optimize my existence by making sensible and accessible lifestyle and nutritional decisions every day. Well, that seems to be Chris Gethin's MO too. He is a shining example of someone who deeply understands wellness and longevity and invests appropriately for his life priorities and his income. He's a fellow podcaster, personal trainer to the rich and famous, a wellness enthusiast, author, and entrepreneur. With 400,000 followers on Instagram alone and a career spanning some 17 years or so, Chris is someone you will want to listen to and garners deep respect the world over. I really enjoyed this conversation with Chris because he lets us into the rationale behind his lifestyle decisions, including what he is concerned about in today's modern world and how he tries to mitigate that risk. And of course, we get a great insight into his top most accessible biohacks that he recommends for all of us, as well as some of the more fringe things he has tried that seem to be pretty interesting, including stem cell therapy and peptide therapy. What was great about our chat was the fact that Chris was on a desk treadmill the entire time of our conversation. You'll probably hear it in the background. So whilst I was sitting on my ass asking these questions, he had walked three kilometers. Now that is biohacking. As always, you can check out the full show notes of this episode by clicking the link within the description of this episode. And if this discussion resonates with you, please help others find our show by leaving a five-star rating or review in your podcast app and tagging us in a screenshot, whether it be in Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Lastly, if you want to take your personal growth to the next level, do check out our Be Your Best Self-Optimization Journey, which is an online self-improvement program like no other, letting you into the human code and helping you realize your full potential and to be your best. You can find more details and podcast listener discount codes in the episode notes. Okay, okay, enough already. Let's just go. We have the fascinating, the marvelous Chris Gethin talking about biohacking and longevity whilst also having a ripped, incredible bodybuilder's physique. Alrighty guys, today we are blessed to have someone from the UK 
a Welshman nonetheless. He is a former natural pro bodybuilder. Um, he is quite big in the biohacking scene. He is a fellow podcaster of the fantastic podcast called the Knowledge and Mileage Podcast, and then Accolades Carry. So he's a personal trainer to um, high performers across all walks of life across the world. He's certified over 800 personal trainers. He's got his own gym franchise. He's got his own supplement company, and he's an author of a bunch of books too. Yes, we've got the charismatic, the impressive, and the worldly Chris Gethin on the show today. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much. That's probably, well, no, undoubtedly the best introduction I've ever had. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Now you got to live up to it, man. Got to live up to it. No <laughs> pressure. <laughs> so listen, um, I, I, I'm, I've been aware of you for a little while, not too long, if I'm honest, um, where you really kind of came to the fore for me is um, through following Ben Greenfield's work. And you recently had a podcast or an interview live in Delhi. And that really kind of brought to the fore your focus and priority of health. Um, but there's probably many others that don't know your story. So maybe we could start there, Chris. Maybe you can give us a little sense of your story. Give us that kind of brief whistle-stop tour of your life as it relates to kind of your health focus. Is that okay? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so it, it came about when I was living in Wales. Um, I was, I'd been racing motocross for many years, and uh, I got a lot of injuries during that time. And it wasn't until I actually had physiotherapy that I was alleviated of the pain through resistance training. So I decided that I wanted to go to college and study it, which I did. And those qualifications were internationally recognized, which uh, then led to me working on cruise liners, uh, then I went and lived in Australia as a personal trainer there, as a mobile personal trainer. Then, you know, I saved up over a couple of years and uh, bought myself my first personal training facility. And then I wanted to reach out to more people. So I taught myself how to write and shoot photography so I could submit content to publications. And uh, I really, really enjoyed that. So I decided, you know what, I want to cover bodybuilding um and uh, health fitness all sorts of walks of life so i'm gonna up and leave australia and move to the mecca of bodybuilding venice california and see if i can get a job uh doing what i love so within six months i got a job working for weeder publications like muscle and fitness flex etc and working um part-time as well or freelancing for other publications and then i got noticed by bodybuilding.com the founder then, Ryan DeLuca, and uh, I got the position of editor-in-chief in 2007, which brought me to Boise, Idaho, where I live now. And uh, then I decided, uh, well, not so much decided, in 2000, end of 2010, I got an opportunity to go to India to release or publicize a book that I'd just released. And then that got uh, the attention of a couple of Bollywood celebrities that wanted me to help them transform over there, getting ready for a couple of uh, movie roles, which I did, which then got um, major, I'd say, attention through the mainstream media. So I decided to stay there a little longer. And I noticed there was definitely a void there when it came to gym facilities and education. So we, uh, myself and my business partner, who, who's, who's from London, Jag Chima, we opened a gym franchise and we call it like academies, uh, which are closed at the moment due to COVID-19. And uh, so we launched a gym franchise over there. And uh, I, I, I was, now the internet is getting much bigger as well. And I wanted to put out a supplement 
line out there that I was confident in that could merge the health sector with the sports performance sector because there's usually quite a large disconnect between the two. So uh, I decided then to move back to the US to launch that uh, supplement company, which I am residing now. And I decided, okay, I'll open the the headquarters in Huntington Beach, and that's where a lot of our employees are, but I'll move back to the mountains of Boise, Idaho, because I love the clean air. I grew up on a farm in Wales, so I do like uh, space, and that's pretty much where I am now. But, you know, from a sporting side of things, I was competing as a natural drug-free bodybuilder. Uh, I got professional status, so I was able to get second in the natural world championships. And, uh, you know, I was competing once every couple of years, wasn't making a habit of it. I never really liked the competitive standpoint of it. I just liked the sense of urgency and accountability that was associated with it. And then started getting into a little bit more hybrid athleticism. So as a bodybuilder, competing in things like Ironman triathlon, which is where I came across uh, Ben Greenfield initially, and uh, ultramarathon and other sporting endurance endeavors uh, combining with strength training. Wow. That's quite a, uh, quite a story. <laughs> there's, there's so many so many little places we can go to, both uh, the locations you've been at and the things that you've you've played with and tried and been successful at. I guess guess one of the things that immediately comes to mind, Chris, is um, I know you've recently had this gentleman on, on your podcast, um, Ben Pakulski, and uh, yeah. he's a obviously a world renowned bodybuilder, not natural, um, but has achieved phenomenal success in that domain. And it's quick for people to judge a physique and go, this person lives for the gym. Uh, that's all they think about. Uh, there must be ego and all sorts of vulnerability attached to their life that's driving them to be so obsessed about their external appearance. And then you have the likes of yourself that has achieved a phenomenal physique. And you look at the likes of Ben Pekulski, the same. And um both kind of merging or kind of evolving into this biohacker sphere, this this sphere of wellness and longevity and caring for your body. And that, that these worlds don't normally coexist. So tell me a little bit about that. Like how, how does that transition happen to someone who is from the outside very focused on physique, or at least that's how people would, would judge it? Yeah, for sure. Well, for myself personally, working out is therapeutic. Like I said, I've never really enjoyed the competitive standpoint from it. I've always liked to uh, involve myself in individualized sports, never like team sports, never like that accountability. So I raced, you know, motocross, then I raced downhill mountain biking, and uh, then got into bodybuilding and Ironman and ultramarathon and stuff. So it's always been an individual journey. And it's always been very therapeutic. I've always done cardio as long as I could remember, once or a couple of times a day, because you know our pecs and delts aren't going to take us to 100 years old. Those aren't the most important muscles in our body. It's our heart, so it's very it's essential that I you know work that muscle. And um, if, sometimes it just happens to be a tipping point. You know, if you go to hospital and the doctor tells you, okay, if you don't change this, you're going to die. Then that's usually that trigger that has people to look, take a deeper look. And I think that's what happened to uh, both myself and, and Ben, where, for, for instance, with me, I, I found that I just wasn't sleeping. I was having terrible night's sleep. I was sleeping on average about three hours a night, uh, which led to me not being a good person to be around. You know, well, I, my personality that, changed. I found out it was mold toxicity. So I exhausted absolutely every avenue that I could possibly think of until I was uh, suggested to go see Dr. Spanog 
at his clinic in Oldsmar, Florida, and which was just down the road from Ben, actually. So I was training at Ben's gym uh, for about, God, what, how long was I there? Six weeks. Six weeks. And this is going back in 2014. So I, I've known Ben for many, many years. And, uh, and it was the mold toxicity. That's what it came down to. So I was in that clinic for six weeks. Then obviously I had a lot of home care that I had to get involved with uh, following that. And uh, then I was able to kind of hack my sleep, so to speak, and which really changed me. And, you know, I had to start looking into, okay, I'm not looking at the macros or carbohydrates or proteins. What are the sources? What is the information that these calories are giving me? Are they healing me or are they harming me? And uh, when I started looking into that, obviously going, you know, a lot more, you know, humane raised, grass fed, looking at the toxicity, having a lot of uh, blood stool, urine, hair follicle tests, et cetera, and really taking a deep dive. It was fascinating and, uh, you know, it was obsessive at the same time. And knowing as a bodybuilder or an endurance athlete, you're usually eating a lot more than a general person. And yes, constantly signaling that mTOR pathway, we know it's just not good for longevity. So that's when we started kind of looking at the aspect of, well, how can we now trigger that AMPK, go through autophagy, however, and still perform at the same time. So that was kind of the emergence. And, you know, my job now, and the same with Ben, is try to get more people to take a deeper thought into that because especially with Instagram and people wanting instant gratification now, people are getting great physiques, but they're probably unhealthier now than ever before. And as you know, you mentioned insecurities. Yeah, there's a lot of insecurities in my industry. There's probably more security from people going and eating in McDonald's than there are going to a fitness expo. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of insecurities. People are being bullied. And they're, you know, that's why they reach out to bodybuilding. And it's not so much egotistical there is, like I said, the insecurities. Maybe they participated in another sport in, in the past and they got into weight training as some form of rehab or physio and they just loved it. They loved how their body reacted. It gave them more confidence, more energy. And the reason why I will go to the gym five days a week, you know, only for like 45 minutes or so, is because that is my pivotal role. That is my pivotal foot that allows me to get better blood flow to the brain, to increase the bone density, to increase my confidence, to increase my energy. You know, so that's why how I regard bodybuilding. It's not so much building big biceps, it's building all these aspects that's surrounding it. Okay. Yeah, that, that's that's a great answer. And I, I can relate to that. I can relate to the therapeutic benefit of getting in the gym and lifting weights. Um at some point, though, and I've got a couple of questions here. Let's start with a point, uh, just a quick pointed one. How old was you when you had that realization, the mold toxicity, and the fact you started giving some more focus to your kind of health longevity? How old was you then? It, it, well, it was two. It was two thousand and thirteen, so it was like seven years ago, and I'm uh, forty five now. Um, that you know, I, it's two thousand twelve, two thousand thirteen. That's when I was really suffering from the mold toxicity, pretty bad. It's because I was living in Mumbai at the time. There's a lot of humidity, okay. um, and uh, it, you know, if I look at the content, some of the books that I wrote back then, I'm like, wow, who was that that wrote it? It was great content, but very different yeah. to what I'd write, write today in uh, reflection. And then it was like two thousand and fourteen. Um, I decided to go to Dr. Spinog's uh, clinic in Oldsmar, and, you know, that wasn't cheap. So, you know, it took, 
it took a lot for me to actually go there because I, I, I was desperate. Like I said, I'd exhausted every possibility. Going to bed at night was like getting on a 12-hour flight. You know, it was just I, I dreaded going to bed because I knew that I'd be waking up every 20 minutes uh, during the night. It, it was horrendous. Did you think for any any part that it could be anything to do with your training? Maybe being overtrained um, or, or, you know, the muscle size or anything like that. Did that ever kind of cross your mind? No, I thought it could have possibly been nutritionally uh, focused because I was so used to eating so frequently that at one stage, you know, I was even eating during the night. Mm. And, uh, you know, I thought, wow, I've just trained myself now to wake up all the time. And uh, I, I thought maybe that was a possibility. And I'd, I'd tried every natural herbal supplement that you could think of associated with uh, sleep patterns. I'd even gone to the doctors and got uh, medication. And I, I hate, I, I don't like to take any medication, not even aspirin. And, uh, you know, that, that didn't work. You know, it just made me feel terrible and drowsy. So I, I was absolutely desperate at that time. But at no point did I think it was anything to do with weight training. Okay, okay. I only mention that because you do hear a lot of bodybuilders struggle with sleep. Um, and I, I've struggled with sleep on and off. You know, I wouldn't class myself as a bodybuilder, but I, I train pretty hard. And I, I quite often wonder if it's either overtraining or, you know, um, fatigued muscles, painful muscles. And, you know, I know we wake up, we awake from a sleep when we're in pain or in discomfort. Um, just wondered if you felt that maybe discomfort was forcing you to move more, more often, therefore wake yourself up. No, because I've been in discomforts for so many years. You know, I right. probably, if as I'm talking to you right now, I'm on a treadmill desk and my legs are killing me from the leg workout that I had yesterday. However, my sleep is great now. I had uh, good quality sleep. I had uh, over about two hours and 35 of REM yesterday. Got like seven hours, eight minutes sleep, which is, you know, over double than what I was. However, I'm training as hard as ever. Nice. But I've just changed my nutritional protocol. I'm detoxing the right pathways. I'm doing, you know, a lot of the biohacks that I definitely wasn't doing before. I wasn't meditating. I wasn't earthing myself. I wasn't uh, getting vitamin D, especially in uh, in Mumbai. You know, there's a lot of smog there. I wasn't getting the, the sunlight. I uh, wasn't using PEMF or any of these any of these things. You know, I definitely wasn't blocking blue light. Uh, so if I look back to a lot of the modalities that I was ignoring, you know, that that's normally where the transition comes, not from muscular pain. Overtraining, of course, one of the side effects is lack of sleep. But I think a lot of bodybuilders may be getting that from sleep apnea. And we're talking guys that, you know, are more like two, 250 pounds yeah. or something like that, a little bit bigger. And, you know, sleep apnea is prevalent with people, whether obese or bodybuilders, if they're overweight. Yeah, which is uh, sleep, sleep apnea for the audience is when uh, either it, it induces snoring, but before that you, you stop breathing, right? It's that, that losing of your breath and kind of waking yourself up through not being able to breathe. Yeah, that's right. And it's very, uh, it's not good for longevity because it it's, it's puts a lot of stress on your heart. Got it. So let me ask you another question on this, and then we're going to then pivot to something else. Would So you kind of had this inquisitive, uh, intellectual, and kind of um, existential need to explore what was going on with you uh, and, and fix some of these ailments and conditions around sleep. Do you think you would have done that 10 years prior? So we're talking about your mid-30s, and I kind of find that many, many men, especially men, seem to 
have a bit of a existential kind of reawakening in their mid thirties. They start to reevaluate stuff. Things start slowing down. Their brain starts speeding up in terms of, you know, how they're running their life and the decisions they want to make. Do you think you would have been as inquisitive and exploratory uh, and obsessed uh, about, you know, returning to health if you were say twenty five? Uh, it all depends how long I'd been suffering from it. So if I'd been suffering from it from the, for the same amount of time, yes, I probably would have. Had I been suffering of it for you know that long, probably not. It was because I was dealing with it for such a long time. And I could acknowledge that it was changing the way that I felt about myself, felt about other people. You know, for a moment in time, I patted myself on the back for only sleeping a few hours a night. Mm -hmm. However, I'm running in a few businesses. I had the thought within my head, I can out-train anyone. You know, I, I, I did absolutely believe that. Anybody that I trained with, I wanted to bury them. And uh, so I patted myself on the back for having that, like, entrepreneurship spirit of, burning the candle at both ends and still going out and killing and attacking. I can do this, you know, and obviously that can only last so long. And, uh, you know, until I acknowledged it. And I think it was just the duration of time that made me really change, really explore what want to explore and be inquisitive on how I could possibly heal myself because I wasn't in a good place. And it was just because the extent of the time wasn't where I was in my life. Okay. No, that's interesting. Um, and I wasn't trying to lead the witness. I was just uh, curious as to whether you yeah. kind of attached those two ideas together. When you talk about mold toxicity, I've, I've n never had a uh, discussion about this on a podcast, but I, I listened to Dave Asprey. Uh, and I know he's, uh, he's had an issue with that and started a company and, and talked extensively about mold toxicity. Should people in the UK, uh, living in homes that you, you're familiar with, be worried about mold toxicity? Uh, I think I think for sure. Um, you know, it's not so much, it isn't just the homes, it, it can come from uh, produce, but obviously the produce has a better regulation in the UK than it does in the US. So, you know, one of the reasons why Dave, you know, started his company is because, you know, there's a lot of mold to toxicity that is found in coffee, like mitotoxins. Right. You find it in wine, you find it in chocolate. Um, so, you know, that, that was one of the reasons why he started that. And that's why I started looking into the forms of produce that I was taking in. In the UK, it's not so bad, but of course you do have a lot of damp, um, you know, especially if you're looking at Wales and Scotland. Uh, you know, I know the weather that you've had at the moment has been pretty good, but there is a lot of damp that's in those homes. And some people can live with it and they're absolutely fine. You know, some like, like you have some people are very sensitive to electromagnetic fields you know they can feel it with the emf other people don't and they sleep soundly it's the same with mold toxicity i can go into a hotel room and i can feel it straight away because i used to suffer from uh, chronic asthma and i could feel it on my chest as well i start running nose starts blocked kind of like if some people have a sensitivity to dust mites it's, it's, it's very similar to that um, and other people won't, uh, but it can affect you over time. It's like death of a thousand cuts. You may not feel it right now, but over time you may do. So it could pay off if you have um, some form of curiosity that you may have a suspect home. I'd suggest that you get it tested. And is that relatively straightforward? 
yeah, you can you can contact a lot a lot of people that you could probably Google it and you'd find them. Every every city would have somebody that does it. There's people here in uh, Boise that do it, and this isn't generally a place that you'd think that there's a lot of mold. You know, it's, it's a very dry climate. Okay, so it's it's getting experts in to do some form of kind of test in the air. Of yeah. Yeah, they'd come and test the air. They'd actually come and test the walls, you know, like okay. behind, you know, in in rooms of shower in the attic space, in um, in, in uh, cellar space. Okay, it's fantastic. I can hear your treadmill going. By the way, I was wondering what that sound was. <laughs> oh, is it distracting or is it okay? No, no, it's absolutely fine, okay. man. I just, uh, right. I'm glad I've I've been able to identify what the sound is. All right, All right. Um, <laughs> I, I should get myself one of those. <laughs> it's great. Well, if you think about it, the blue zones. Uh, always participating in some form of low-level activity, and this treadmill only goes two miles an hour, which is perfect for typing or calls. And wow. this is this is uh, trying to merge with our ancestors, I guess. I love that. I love that. Um, so the next question I have is again, go back to Ben Pikulski. I, I look at his journey, and he's trying to desize now. Um, you know, remove some of the excess weight that he was he was holding when obviously he got to the height of his Mr. Olympia status. Um, are you trying to do the same? Do you feel that being as big as being as oversized as you can be, and you can define you can define natural versus anabolic, but being as oversized as you can be, is it that conducive to longevity and biohacking, or do you have to choose a lane? Uh, no, like I, I try to have a hybrid approach because I like being larger. It makes me feel good. I like being stronger. I like being able to go out and run for 10, 12 miles, but being as a bigger person and having the agility and versatility uh, to, to, to my physique. Um, where, you know, you look at a Ben Pekulski, the guy used to be like 300 pounds, you know, that's like a different sport to what I compete in. You know, my heaviest body weight is about 220 pounds. So if you look at the comparative relativeness of that, it's, 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 there's a, it's quite large. Um, so I'm not trying to downsize at this moment. You know, if I'll downsize, I'll drop 10 pounds. I'll go down to 210. I'll just drop, you know, a little bit of body fat. But that's about it. You know, I'm sure I will downsize as I get a little bit older. But I do other things that I can't, uh, you know, biohack, I guess, you know, the environment that I'm in. So, you know, I will I'll usually fast until the afternoon. I'm actually going to try to put out uh, a challenge to get a lot of my followers to do a 24-hour fast with me next week and a 48-hour fast with me the following week. But I do what's called like a controlled fast. So I'll make sure that I have certain supplements, such as my essential amino acids, my glutamine. If, for instance, I'm feeling really hungry, maybe I'll have some collagen, but that's about it. You know, so there's various things that I do there. And, you know, I'll, I'll, there's a, a clinic very close to me where I'll have my, you know, my IVs, uh, my NAD IVs and, and whatnot. Um, and there's other things that I'll do to ensure that whatever I'm doing to my body, that I'm not in, in increasing my aging process. So I do the telomere test, you know, just to check that my biological age isn't uh, getting fat, isn't faster than my or older than my chronological age. Because I'm 46 years old this year, but that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is my biological age. So you know, I do quantify a lot. And what so, is your well, biological weight there, Chris? It's th it's 38, 38. That was so, it. Uh, 
Yeah, and it's going down, you know, because when I started, it wasn't, you know, when I started testing a few years ago, uh, it was pretty much matched with what my age was. So I've been able to decrease it, decrease it year after year. And, uh, you know, so I do whatever I can to make sure that my liver enzymes are perfect, my testosterone is perfect, you know, my thyroid. And, uh, you know, that's usually my priority. My, you know, my secondary is my physique, how I look. Obviously, I want to look great. But I know it's my soul muscles, my meditation, it's uh, the, my cardiovascular exercise, not overdoing it is, is going to help me. Because I don't want to, you know, like Ben um, Greenfield says, I don't want to just sit on my butt and be libidoless for the rest of my life if I'm going to live to a past 100 years old. I want to have adventure and kick ass while I'm here at the same time. But how can I collate the both so they don't have a negative effect on each other? Okay, that's a great answer. And it's reassuring to know that you don't have to choose. Uh, you're clearly showing that, Chris. So um, when it comes to biohacking, maybe maybe let's, let's um, define that. Put it in your words. What is biohacking? And would you regard yourself as a biohacker? Um, I don't know. I don't really regard myself as a bodybuilder, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, like, for instance, with biohacking, like what I'm doing right now, you could say is a form of biohacking by walking on this treadmill desk because I'm not able to go out and work on a farm or do what a lot of our ancestors did with low-level activity, you know, much, much like a lot of the blue zones. So I do whatever I can to biohack this environment. So whilst I'm talking to you right now or on a conference call, I'm able to, you know, participate in some form of low level activity. You know, I, I'll wear like um, a blood flow, uh, sorry, blood flow, a blood glucose monitor. So I'll have, you know, sometimes I have my Dexcom in, sometimes I have my uh, Freestyle Libra, you know, because I like to check for the accuracy. And I'm able to see, okay, if I eat this type of food, and sit on my butt, this is the effect that I have on my blood sugar levels. But if I participate in some sort of movement for 10 minutes after that move, uh, that meal, then it comes right down. So that's another form of biohacking. I'm able to use the technology today and go back to what our ancestors did to kind of combine the both that I know that will help with longevity. Because as we know, you know, we keep spiking our insulin, mm -hmm. we'll get insulin uh, resistance, it's just not going to be good. So, you know, that would be like the short, short answer, I'd say of biohacking. And you've spoken quite a bit already around measurement. So it sounds like that's a reasonably central part of your regime is, is measurement. Do you feel measurement is important for everyone? Uh, everyone's got to be different, you know, like for instance, like I speak to Dave Scott, who's six times uh, Ironman world champion. Uh, he, he doesn't measure that much. He's just an animal. He just goes out there and does it uh, where, you know, you'll get a lot of Ironman athletes or triathletes that are measuring absolutely everything. And it all comes down to that individual. I'm obsessed about it because I love it. I love it so much. I want to quantify how many calories I burn off during a workout. I want to know what my sleep score is when I wake up in the morning. I want to know what my blood sugar, ha what happens to my blood sugar when, uh, 
when I had this certain meal by measuring it, you know, and I just think by having all this quantification around us is like having a form of accountability, like several personal trainers following us around all the time mm. by you know, measuring my sleep score. I know I have to get to bed early. So I love my, my schedule where, okay, two hours before bed, I'm putting my red lens, blue light blocking glasses on. I'm going to be on my PAMF mat. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to maybe do some form of red light therapy in the evening and I will read for 30 minutes before I go to bed and then I wake up in the morning and my sleep score is great. If I didn't have my sleep score to quantify, maybe I wouldn't do those things. Maybe my sleep would be, wouldn't be as good, you know. So, you know, it, it all changes. You know, I just went camping on the weekend and uh, my sleep score was great out there because – you know, I'm not exposed to EMFs. There was no connection there whatsoever. Uh, no artificial light. And I had great sleep, you know, and uh, that's what we try to emulate in our environment whenever we can. Do you know what? I'm, I'm a measurer um, and people of you have often, you know, pulled me out to say, Steve, like, why are you so anal about this kind of stuff? Just like go with the flow. And, you know, my response is, hey, it, you know, I'm using measurement to manage my specific goals. My goals are specific enough and I have strong enough desire to those that a bit of measurement is the price I pay for having certainty. And that, that, if we talk about body composition, that's a pretty straightforward thing. I think all bodybuilders would, would, would agree that that's pretty essential if you're looking to, you know, the extremes of composition. But I measure other things. I measure my sleep score and various other pieces, but nothing like what you do. But I have this, I guess I'm having this a little bit of a love-hate with measurement at the moment because I guess the more you learn uh, and uh, well let me say it this way the more I learn the more I realize how simple life is uh, and it, it, it's ta it takes billions of dollars and millions of hours of research to really confirm that our kind of instinctive evolutionary appropriate practices are probably the most healthy so then it kind of takes me back it takes me to this question of well do I need to be an Android, a measure, because the data is going to tell me how I should feel, or should I just respond to how I feel? What do you feel about that? Yeah, well, I think it goes by person to person. You know, it's just like if you were a part of a football team and you have the coach shouting and yelling at you, some of those people within our team are probably going to be very receptive to it, and other people could just turn the other way. And it does the absolute opposite. And I think it's the same with the quantification. You know, I remember my father saying to me when I was uh, first getting into bodybuilding and I was at home and I was leaning back in my chair so I could eat more food because I was skinny and I really needed to eat more. I was underweight, I should say, not skinny. And uh, I remember him saying, God, you're obsessed. And I remember agreeing with him and saying, yeah, I am. You know, this is how far I want to take my goals. I really want to persist, pursue, and be disciplined in my approach. Because if I'm not going to do it 100%, what's the point of me doing it at all? You know, I want to be 100% in. It's the same like if you're going to go through a transformation, you're going to go through a, you know, a program. One of my, if, if you want to be one of my clients, you better be 100%. Otherwise, go and go with another personal trainer. And I think it's the same with approach. You know, it's if you are going into something like that and you feel happy and healthy going 100% with your quantification and measurements, then do it because that works for you. You know, it's like some people pick up a book and it's useless to them. Other people will pick up that book, 
apply it and become millionaires because of it, you know? So I think it's a different approach for different people and everyone has to respect that. Oh, I, I absolutely. And please don't think my questions are uh, within, with any means of judgment, uh, not whatsoever. You know, I'm no, no, no. I, I'm, I meant obviously, like a couple of your friends saying to you, you know, about yes. your qualification of then go with the flow. You know, everyone's different. You know, you just because some people can go with the flow, some people don't. You know, and that's that's absolutely fine. We're all different. We all have different characteristics and personalities. Well said, man. Well said. Would would you if 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 the world changed, well, the world is changing quite rapidly at the moment, as we've seen over the last couple of months. But if technology disappeared tomorrow, um, maybe not as far as to say disappeared, but your quantification, your ability to quantify disappeared, do you think you have enough muscle memory, enough intuition at this point to say, do you know what, I could, I, I could go, I could, you know, I don't, I wouldn't have some of the things I enjoy. Um, in terms of the quantification and the responsiveness to that. But do you think you could lead a healthy, well, uh, and optimized existence without the data? Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, we'd have to be, you know, very, think of ourselves very thankful and lucky that we're able to educate ourselves with what we've been given today. So we can use that data and take it forward. It's like me wearing my blood glucose monitor. I've only... I'm only wearing it for a year. I've been wearing it now for about eight months. So I've only got four more months and I won't wear it again because I've got all the data that I need to take me forward now. Yes. And I think it's the same with everything else. And what is also good is that I'm at an age where I remember not even having a, a, a cell phone or a TV or anything like that and definitely not a computer. So I know what the life was like before then and it was absolutely fine. I was able to get this far without it. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, I wouldn't lose any sleep over, you know, losing uh, those abilities. But you've now been educated both through, I guess, you willing to be educated plus your own data, your own self-quantification. You've got this this army of knowledge and understanding of yourself that if we took it away, you would know how to implement it without the data. And I think that's really powerful. So I, I often say when people are talking about weight loss, I'd say, you know, the the the, the whole process of, you know, measurement and tracking, I think is to inform you on just how simple it can be. Now, whether you want to stay there is up to you, but understanding the kind of equation of life or the equations of life, I think is important. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you, that, you know, quantification could be episodic in one's life. Uh, they kind of garner the information they need and then they say, okay, now, now let's use intuition with the knowledge that I've built. Yeah, you know, a lot of the time, how t you know, how often do we look back and go, you know what, I really should have gone with my gut. Well, your intuition is going to tell you a lot. And, uh, you know, I, as a bodybuilder, I used to ma measure absolutely everything. I'd weigh all my food. And even if I went out to like the fish market in Sydney, Australia, I would take my weighing scales wow. <laughs> and uh, weigh, weigh out that sushi or sashimi before I ate it. Uh, but now I don't need to. I, I know exactly what 140 grams of uh, chicken or bison looks like. So I don't weigh it. I just eyeball it and use my intuition. You know, if, if I'm feeling full, uh, then I need to stop eating. You know, uh, you know I, I, I think it's very easy for us to over adapt sometimes and take that qualification too much, especially if you look at somebody like, for instance, cutting calories and they're doing it for a short period of time, but then they continue and they have health ramifications from it, not just physically, but mentally as well. You need to take a step back because as I mentioned, everyone's different. If you become overly obsessed, 
where you become anxious if you're not mm. quantifying something, you probably need to take a step back and get away from it. It's like when I went camping over the weekend, you know, I felt that I was getting a little bit attached to my phone. Uh, so it was good to go away and disconnect. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's good for people to have intreats. So my fiance, she created this terminology of intreats where I will give her my computer and my phone. And for several days, I am not connected because I feel that I'm working a little bit too much. I'm getting a little bit obsessive. Uh, so it's not healthy. So then I'm going to go by my intuition and listen to my own thoughts and feelings and then get back into it with, uh, you know, a new state of mind. Sounds like you've got, you've got a good balance there, Chris. So I'm working on it. <laughs> yes, life's a journey, man. Um, yeah. What about the most um, uh, fringe uh, things that you've done? So you mentioned a couple of them that I know some of our listeners would never have heard of before. Um, and then I'm guessing there probably are some others. But I do want to ask the more the most important question, which is the most accessible things that people can look into for, you know, big improvements and optimizations of health longevity and just general kind of well-being but before we go to the accessible what's the most inaccessible whether they're regular treatments or they're things you've just done once okay um well i don't know how yeah well i know hbot is very um, accessible there like i know tim gray who started the very first clinic there in london but i'd say the more fringe that i'd say that i've done i, I definitely haven't uh done any of these uh god what what do they call them i'm trying to think where they're actually taking they're ta they're taking the uh, uh i'll come back to it in a second i can't think of the name of it but one of the more fringe things that i've done is like i've traveled to uh columbia for stem cells you know so okay. i've had embryonic stem cells you know where you, you can't get that in the us and they definitely can't do it where it's harvested over like a two-week period so I did that about a year and a half ago. And where did I'd they say the other get thing, injected? I got them into the places where I know that's always going to go through wear and tear because, like I said, I don't plan on slowing down anytime soon. So I've had my shoulders, had my elbows, I had uh, my knees done, and I also had IV of uh, the stem cells as well. Wow. So, um, yeah, I, 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 so I did that, and it was great. You know, it was the best money that I ever spent and uh, a lot cheaper than what it would be in the U.S., for sure. What, what so I did a lot of research. I uh, talked about $10,000. Wow, that's a lot and of dosh, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, if I was to have something like that in the U.S., it'd be north of 50000 and it wouldn't be anywhere near as efficacious. Nowhere wow. near. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of money, but, you know, it's an investment into my health and my happiness and my future, you know, because uh, I love running. I love training hard. And I know at 220 pounds, it's probably not the best for my knees and hips. And I want to have that restorative respect, what uh, stem cells can provide. You know, that's what we have accessible to us in this day and age. You know, ask me, am I going to spend that on a car or am I going to spend that on stem cells? I'm going to spend on stem cells every time. And stem cells, just for my own curiosity and our audience, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to bastardize it if I try and explain what they are and what they do. Do you want to just explain why why you took them and what they're uh, supposed to do for us? Yeah, yeah. So um, so stem cells. Obviously, we all have stem cells in our body, and they 
basically, let's say for injury purposes, those stem cells will congregate to that area to help heal that particular area. If you have inflammation, this could be liver disease, it could be heart issues, could be anything like that, cartilage, anything that with a blood supply. Okay, but as we get a little bit older, or let's say we haven't lived the healthiest of lives, maybe we drank a lot of alcohol, ate a lot of trans fats, uh, abused somehow, uh, we'd have lesser of those stem cells to allow our bodies to repair. So even though I've lived a, ra a rather healthy life, I am 45 years old and I do beat my body up. And I was starting to feel a little bit of inflammation in my elbows from all that, you know, all years of wear and tear. My left knee started to give me a little bit of hassle as I was getting, as I uh, competed in my uh, last uh, half Ironman triathlon. So I felt, you know what, I'm going to look into this a little bit more. And uh, so the stem cells then, what I, the particular stem cell that I had was embryonic stem cells. So the place that I went to in Colombia not only had the stem cell clinic there, but it had the stem cell bank. So you'd have a donor and, you know, usually you're asked this or you can do this, particularly in the US. I know you can do it in the UK as well, where you can, just, you can have your uh, child's stem cells actually banked. And, you know, they sometimes they will bank them for free if you donate a certain amount of okay. those stem cells. So I was one of those recipients that said, I will have some of those stem cells and I'll pay for that donation. And uh, so that was, you know, that that's basically what I received, those stem cells from a, a baby that we know is going to be so much more efficacious than somebody that's mm. older, like myself, if I was to have them extracted from myself and then put back in, it's not going to be as good as if I was to get them from a donor of somebody that is much younger. And of course, you know, they go through all the rigorous processes of to ensure that everything is above board. I, I actually filmed in the facility. I did a podcast with, uh, the, with the doctors uh, there and the professors. So, uh, yeah, and, and I know of a couple, I knew of a couple of athletes that had been there before me. And since then, I've sent a couple of my celeb clients there because, you know, I, I don't get anything out of it other than seeing them uh, go through a healing process where, you know, it's, it's not so much transformational externally, but internally as well. I, I quite like the idea of it. Uh, it sounds like, you know, these stem cells are like, you know, the, the photocopiers of new cells, new generating cells. And as you're as you're kind of replicating cells become damaged or less of uh, your ability to repair and replicate and regenerate becomes weakened. And then effectively you've deployed brand new stem cells that, you know, that can replicate perfectly and are young and don't have any kind of um, age associated to them. And therefore it's almost like you're, you know, you're, you're having like knee transplants. It, it, in my mind, it's like, that's what's happening is your ability to regenerate that cartilage and all the surrounding tissue is going to be profoundly better than using your 45-year-old weakened and less um, uh, prevalent stem cells. But is, is that a fair uh, yeah. judgment of what's yeah. going on there? Yeah, that, that'd be fair. You know, I do know some people that have had like their own bone marrow transplants. Uh, you know, Ben Greenfield is one of them. And yeah, it, it did work, uh, but it just wasn't as effective as it could have been. You know, like I, I had mine done, God, it must have been close to two years ago now, and I feel absolutely phenomenal. Will I go back there again for a top-up? Yeah, sure, but I don't feel like I need to. 
as it is, uh, you know, just yet. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Any, anything else which is on that kind of scale of fringe, whether it be expense or just something that no one's heard of? Yeah, well, the one thing I was going to mention earlier, I couldn't even think of the name, is like a fecal transplant. I have yet to do the fecal transplant. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I know that is big. It is uh, big at the moment. Uh, basically, you know, there's a lot of people out there, uh, you know, let, let's say they're dealing with some sort of uh, gut issue. Health is- yeah, gut issue, health issue, obesity, and they're actually taking fecal transplants from people that are like elite athletes, for instance. And it's it's helping with all sorts of, like you said, IBS issues or uh, some form of disorder or um, you know uh, body body weight issues, body composition issues. It's, uh, it's really interesting, yeah, isn't I'm, it? But 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 also yeah. scary because you're, you know, our, our our gut is teeming with microbes that you know really inform our body, and taking the microbes of someone else who may on the surface look, you know, both young, healthy, looking after themselves, or one, are they looking after themselves? Two, have they abused their body? Three, do they have any issues that are undiagnosed? Uh, Do they have any, you know, there's a lot unknown, like you can select for healthy, but do you really know the full story? And is there going to be any compatibility issues? I I just don't know how I feel about that, but it is intriguing. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, people are taking the young blood, aren't they? You know, there's a blood transplant. People are taking the blood out of younger people as well. And, uh, yeah, that, that seems a little bit too fringe for me. The other thing that I uh, have done, and I, I don't know if this is that fringe anymore, it's quite more accessible than it was, is uh, peptide therapy. So I know there's various peptides that can help, for instance, with inflamed liver uh, with longevity like epitalon, uh, but BPC-157 is one that I've actually uh, tried in the past, and I've had some clients take it as well with much success. So I'd say pep- peptides is the other one. Okay, and if we wanted to learn a little bit more about peptides, have you spoken about them previously on a, on a podcast that we can point people towards? I don't think I have. You know, I know Greenfield has many times, and I know uh, Ben Pekulski has uh, many times, but, uh, you know, basically it's a sequence of amino acids that have been created uh, specifically for certain areas, you know, or certain ailments. You know, the, the, the one like the epitalon is, uh, you know, helping with preventing the shortening of the telomeres, which, you know, obviously leads to aging or some measurement of aging. And uh, then BPC-157 uh, really does heal usually for inflammation or for injuries, same with TB500. TB And uh, then, you know, you've just got so many of these, uh, you know, got CJC, which is, uh, you know, really the last thing that I would want because it increases your appetite. And I feel like I've got that naturally within me anyway. Uh, So there's just peptides for absolutely everything out there now. But I'd say, you know, listen to one of uh, Greenfield's or uh, Ben Pekulski's podcast on yeah. uh, peptides. They've they got uh, quite, a, quite a few. A little bit. They're not necessarily very well regulated at the moment and, and also quite restricted, aren't they, in terms of uh, your access to them worldwide, as, from, as far as I can tell. Well, there is large access. However, you want to make sure that you're accessing it from a reputable place. Right. So you want to make sure that, you know, maybe speak with your doctor and they can have it, have it prescribed from a place like tailor-made pharmacy, uh, pharmacies. 
so you know you, you'd want to make sure that you'd you know go about it the right way because I think you can even go on Amazon and order these things, which is definitely not the way to go. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Are, are you are you rattling uh, with with pills these days? As as a biohacker, we assume like especially if you listen to Dave Asprey. I mean, he, yeah, he's absolutely rattling. It sounds like he takes hundreds hundreds of pills during during the course of the day. Uh, not, I don't believe he's a hypochondriac. I believe he really just wants to optimize his health and he will do anything and everything he can to support that. And pharmacology supports part of his regime. But uh, yeah, are you having hundreds of pills a day as well, Chris? I'm not quite there, not hundreds, no. So maybe I'm not a biohacker, uh, <laughs> but I'd probably take about, I'd say I'd probably take about 30, 40 pills. I'd take about 40 pills a day, but some of them could be six of the same pill. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, I take about four or five grams of omega oils, EPA, DHA, a, a day. So, you know, there's six <laughs> right there, you know. Uh, uh, the pills, you know, you have to look at supplements logically. You know, they all have a benefit. You take them all, you may die. Uh, so, you know, that's why I like to quantify. I'll go by what my hair follicle, my blood, my hormonal test will tell me where I'm deficient. Mm. So I don't photosynthesize vitamin uh, D as, as much as I uh, could. I don't absorb omegas as much as well as I could. Uh, so I take higher dosages through supplementation. So I look at everything logically, you know, and obviously to absorb that vitamin D, you need a little bit of K2. So there's another supplement if it doesn't come with it. Uh, you know, making sure that, because I have heavy metal contaminants in my body. So I've got the typical British teeth where I've got metal in my teeth. So I don't know if you know Dr. Dom. Um, mm, he's no. just come out with a great, great book, actually. He'd be a great guest for you. Uh, it's it starting him out. He's based in Germany and he's uh, regarded as like the, the world's leading biodentist. And uh, so, you know, one thing I've got is a lot of metal in my teeth and it's leaching into my bloodstream. So I have to take a lot of binders to ensure until I go over and see Dr. Dom after this uh, COVID is uh, done with. Uh, I'll have to take a lot of binders like my Corella or spirulina, maybe activated charcoal. And then I get in my infrared sauna that I have out mm -hmm. the back here five days a week to try to collate a lot of the heavy metal contaminants out. So, you know, the supplements that I take and the pills that I have, are, you know, correlated specifically for me and not something that everybody could uh, replicate. Oh. And another thing I, I, I just wanted to make mention, after speaking with Dr. Dom, I had him on my podcast, because I have this metal in my teeth, and now, uh, today, that we need to be very concerned of is the EMF, is because, and you know, some uh, scans have shown this, is basically I'm acting as an antenna. <laughs> I actually have a gold tooth as well at the front of my mouth that I had done when I was in India, and uh, that's acting as an antenna. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's not only you have to worry about the metal leaching, but the EMF that's radiating towards it, especially if you used to have a phone uh, next to your head. Mm, yeah, I have, hearing, I'm hearing so much about both of those two things, both metal fillings and EMF. Um, when it comes to metal fillings, are, are we talking specifically about the kind of dark gray ones? Are the, are the white ones not an issue? No, the white the white arguments are absolutely fine. It's it's the metal and the mercury that kind of leaches yeah. into the bloodstream. Yeah, and you have to be very very careful with the extraction 
so, you know, the way that he extracts it is that he has ozone therapy, uh, ozone that is actually sucking the air because the dentist also has to be very careful that they're not breathing in the heavy metals when they're doing it. So he, he, he really does have like a full-on biohacking setup and his clinic is like EMF free. He gets you in the H-bot leading up to it. You, you know, Basically, I'll be there for over a week taking various forms of uh, uh, IV therapy uh, prior, during, and after as well to make wow. sure that the detoxification process is on point. Wow. Well, I have heard several people talking about just the um, just how um, bad mercury is. I think someone's saying it's like the second most deadliest substance to, to humans and you know we've had it in uh, vaccinations previously obviously many of our fillings um, it's obviously a heavy metal that we can find in in our uh, some of our kind of marine food and yeah I hadn't really kind of put this together but I'm hearing more and more of that so I can understand why you have a reservation about your metal filings want to map but I just wouldn't have realized there you'd have to go through such a careful process of um, extraction. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And we know, yeah, the adverse effects that heavy metals can have. You know, it, it could be cancerogenic. It could uh, cause birth defects, have a negative effect on your uh, thyroid, uh, neuroplasticity, so many things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons with my supplement company, I wanted everything to adhere to the Prop 65 Act of heavy metal contaminants. Because, you know, we're going to be coming out for, with, for instance, in the future, uh, a plant-based protein. Well, I, we haven't come across a plant-based protein yet that adheres to the Prop 65 Act because they're so, you know, they, they're so high in heavy metals naturally, you know, being grown from the soil. So, right. you know, you have to look at so many different angles from your food produce, from the air that you breathe, from the supplements that you take, and obviously, you know, what you have in your mouth, unfortunately. As we're talking about food, Chris, uh, what's your food diet format, roughly speaking? Oh, depends when you're going to speak to me. It changes all the time. So I just got off a, a four-week carnivore diet. Uh, last year, for about eight months, I was like cyclical keto. Uh, but at the moment, uh, I'm leaning out just slightly. So, you know, I'm on a typical, uh, I'd say it's more of, a, more of a, like a 40-40-20. So 40 protein, 14 carbs, uh, 20 fats. I'd say that's where I am right now. But you know, I, I make sure that I eat as organic and humane raised and locally grown. I'll eat organ meats. You know, I, I don't shy away from organ meats at all. I quite like them. Uh, just to make sure that I'm getting a lot of the nutritional values and I'm not constantly blasting my body with uh, methionine, but I'm getting a good glycine mixer as well. Um, so, you know, it's just very wholesome. I try to eat the rainbow with a lot of my meals, you know, lots of colors, lots of fibrous vegetables, uh, more than anything. I get a very good olive oil from a company called Grove and Vine because I know that's been harvested about three months before it gets to my table. So it's not, you know, sitting rancid on the shelves of a supermarket. So, you know, it's just very wholesome and healthy. And I always look at my food and think, okay, is this healing me or harming me? And uh, my fiance and I, you know, I, I'm not religious by any means, but we'll sit before our meal for about two minutes, you know, eyes closed or looking at the meal and thinking, okay, this is going to feed me, it's going to fuel me. And we're not distracted when we're eating, we're not on the phones, we're not reading, we're not watching a screen or anything like that. We're taking our time. And I think that's where a lot of people have the issues is that they just rush down a meal 
and then they're still hungry for something. They haven't been fulfilled. They haven't acknowledged that they've even eaten. And, uh, you know, again, just looking back to our blue zones where it's more of a celebration. That's what we, tr you know, try to emulate at home, even though we're usually busy and working 16 hour days and we're in a rush. It's like that is our time that we will not rush. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. And I'm, I'm kind of coming to that realization, also not religious. So we've never kind of get, given thanks for the food in front of us. But we are finding ways to do that more and more frequently. And also, I think our D, oh, no, um, yeah, we, we, we're just not aware of where our food comes from generally as, as a general person. Uh, and as a result, it's very easy to start um, uh, getting caught up in, you know, the ethical side of our food system because we're unwilling to understand how our food arrives on our plate and we, we haven't engaged with the, you know, the, you know, the hunting or the catching or the processing of our food or I haven't in my life ever and I think that disconnect with food can sometimes throw you off and throw your kind of instincts off a little bit. So I appreciate the both the kind of giving thanks to your food and just, you know, caring for the kind of the quality of the food. It makes a big difference, huge difference. Yeah, and yeah, for sure. And taking your time, taking your time, that's the big thing because we want to be in a parasympathetic state when we're eating our food, making sure those cortisol levels are low as opposed to, you know, what we usually are, stressed out in a sympathetic state. Yeah, yeah. That's a big deal. Um, so last two questions. The, the, the last one is a bit longer. So let's hit you with a penultimate, which is, uh, can people take self-optimization or biohacking to an obsessive state and become a psychological problem? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, it's much like, you know, people over diet. And it's the same with biohacking. I see so many people wanting the next shiny object where they haven't got themselves optimized yet. You know, so there is no icing without the cake and they need to focus on that cake. You know, is their gut health optimized? Have they got real good microbiome? Because as we know, that inflammatory response can lead to a chemical response in the, in the brain. Um, so, you know, that, that's why I, I try to get people to focus on the fundamentals first, because the thing with biohacking, I've just noticed everybody contacts me and says, oh, what, what, you know, that infrared lamp that you have, uh, you know, what is that? Where can I get it? Uh, you know, with that PMF device or that sauna, well, sauna and ice baths. Okay. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. But, you know, people are very interested to find the next greatest biohack when they haven't really optimized their health. And I find that they're obviously the same within the fitness industry where they want to know every supplement that they're taking without knowing what sacrifices that you're really making before you even experience that success. So I always tell people, okay, let's go through the sacrifices first and then we will start talking about the successes later. Mm. I think that's such a, such a valid point. This idea that we... I think just as human beings, we do want efficiency, right? We want the silver bullet. We want we want the quick yeah. fix. And, and that's not judging anyone. It's, it's in me, it's in you, it's in all of us. We, we'd rather the, the quick, painless route to success than the, the horrible journey of, of sacrifice and effort. Uh, but the reality is you can't, you can't disconnect the two, right? Happiness doesn't come with problems and you need problems in your life. So you better get at solving, you know, the core. So, but assume someone has their core resolved and and that is nuanced so let's not go into that but you know they're sleeping well uh they've got a good balance at work uh, an appropriate balance at work they are eating well for them 
uh, whether it's a carnivore diet, a keto diet, or a low carb diet, or vegan diet, whatever it is, like they found a diet that works for them, that is nutritious, that is low in toxicity, low in inflammation, and high in nutrition, whatever that ends up being for them. They exercise adequately, but not too much. They do what they enjoy and they love, and they're focusing on lean muscle mass, uh, and they're keeping their weight in check. So they've got the bases covered. Um, maybe they have some mindfulness practice, maybe not. But let's just go, they're the basics, right? That's what you can expect most people to access freely and with not too much guidance. But they get that done and they come to you and say, what's your top five or your top 10, whatever it is. What would be the most accessible, practical, and in your mind, the best money or time spent above that base to give them an optimized health and longevity? Right. Okay. Good question. Well, I'd, I'd say, no, uh, well, up there, in no particular order, is some sort of like EMF scrambler. So they could be personal devices where, you know, you've got like a Defender Shield phone case, you've got a Defender Shield bum bag, you know, so you're actually scrambling that, uh, the, the EMF. And same within your home. Like I know in the UK, you have uh, the Somavedic, I think, that is uh, accessible over there. Um, you can actually have that in your home. You can have it in your car. You can have a travel somavedic that scrambles the EMF. So I'd say that's 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 one of them. Why why is that uh, important to you? Why it's, uh, EMF is electromagnetic fields coming from all our devices, from Wi-Fi, from our phones, from the cell towers. It's it's the transmission of data over the over the over the air, and it's and I think you're talking about non-native EMF, so things coming from our devices yeah. that may not be data transmitters, but they also are projecting out some form of electromagnetic field. Why are you can? I mean, I, I know we can go down a rabbit hole here, but at, at a high level, why is that a top well, concern for you? Well, a high level, you know, we're always trying to optimize our mitochondrial health. And, uh, you know, much like the smoking industry said, well, this is okay for you. You can smoke. And then many years later, even though the scientists knew that, uh, that it was bad for you, then it, it came out that, you know what, actually, maybe that can give you lung cancer. Um, I think the same is going to come out with EMF. There are negative connotations that's associated with it. You know, they, they're showing more and more people that happen to have a phone on their right side in their right pocket are having hip replacements on their right side. That female that puts the phone in her left bra has now got uh, breast cancer on her left breast or in her left breast. You know, so there just seems to be a lot of correlation there and coincidentals that I wouldn't want to ignore and just wait until it's too late. So that's just one thing that I just try to, I, I try to be um, adherent to. Like I know when I travel, and I'm in a hotel room and it's just EMF everywhere. I don't sleep anywhere near as I, I as good as I could. Mm. So I make sure that I take an earthing mat with me or an earthing bed sheet. I take a somavedic device and I feel that I sleep so much better because of it. You know, so, you know, and I, I've actually been, I went to a music festival a couple of years ago in Vegas in a speedway and I wasn't drinking, I wasn't doing drugs or anything like that, but I felt like I had the worst hangover for days after. And that's because like we were all in this area where there was no phone connection because there was so many people there. And then where did we go and sleep that night? in Vegas on the strip. Mm. And, uh, you know, I can only point the finger as at, at the EMF. And when you get these scramblers, well, they're, they're stopping your phone from working, are they? Is, is that what they're going to end no, up? No, no, no. 
No, they scramble the actual EMF signal going to, into your body. So, you know, if, for instance, you don't have to just worry about your own phone. You have to worry about the Wi-Fi, the people that's around you. So you can get these uh, summer medics. You know, there's, there's other things that I wear as well. You know, like I'll have like the Get Lambs boxer shorts, for instance, that will uh, protect your crown jewels from a lot of the EMF. Okay. You know, if you look at if you look at the levels of testosterone today in males compared to 30 years ago, there's a massive decline, massive decline. I've got a 23-year-old client at the moment with a testosterone level of 264. Like, you know, why has this changed? Our DNA hasn't changed in the last 30 years, but our environment certainly has. You know, so you have to look at all these, uh, you know, these variables that have changed over the 30 years. And one thing that keeps changing is the 1G, the 2G, the 3G, the 4G, now the 5G, you know. No, no, I think that's fair. I think that's that's good advice. So we've got we've got an EMF scrambler or, or something like that as in your top five. What else have we got? Thanks, Chris. Uh, um, I'd say the blue light, uh, blue light blocking glasses. You know, if you're not going to have blue light blocking glasses, and you can change the lighting, obviously in your home. But I think that's a good one. You know, especially for Evening people only? working out in. Pardon. Evening only. Uh, no, it could be daytime as well. You know, obviously you want to have some cortisol, but you don't need to be over have an overabundance. So, for instance, if I'm training in a gym and usually there's very harsh lighting there, you're lying on your back doing your flies, your bench press, and you're constantly being penetrated by that blue artificial light. It isn't always that good, you know. So I'll do block it a little bit with a yellow lens, but then in a, in, a, in for sure. For sure, in the evening, I'd say for the last couple of hours before bed, where you'd wear like your red lens, blue light blocking glasses. Yeah, that's, that's you know, a because obviously, yeah, because we're supposed to secrete melatonin at that time, and if you've got you know the blue light penetrating your retina, you're not going to you know secrete the melatonin as you should, which is a you know one of our master antioxidants. So, uh, you know, again, look back to our ancestors. Were they exposed to blue light back in the day? Well, no, no it would be candlelight or firelight. Yeah. And usually they weren't staying up until, uh, you know, past 12 o'clock. No, no. So you, you, you'll you use those as a, as a for sure kind of measure. You just stick them on at some point in the evening with or without, you know, lights. So I'm guessing you're dimming your lights and you're trying to not have as much screen time. But if you are, you're definitely sticking these on to try and combat some of that. That blue light, is that yeah. right? Definitely without a doubt. And I'll usually wear like long pajamas as well because I am aware that there's photoreceptors on the skin as well. Interesting. Okay. All right. So we've got blue blockers. What else? Uh, blue blockers. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Well, we spoke about well, the other thing I like is hot and cold therapy. So obviously, I, I like I said, I have an infrared sauna at the back of my house there. And uh, I have an ice bath out there as well. And I just like nice. hot and cold comparative therapy, finishing with cold. Because I've noticed that if I do measure my blood sugar levels throughout the rest of the day after finishing with uh, cold, they're much more stable. Not only that, my emotional state is much more stable as well. Mm. Because obviously with the ice, we are toning that vagal nerve, which is our fight or flight response. And I just find that um, myself and my clients as well are in much more of a parasympathetic state throughout the rest of the day with a blood sugar regulation that is much more stable, finishing with the cold. And obviously with the heat, we know that it improves, you know, uh, heat shock proteins can have a positive effect on natural growth hormone levels. 
testosterone and it can reduce all cause mortality by about 43%, you know, dependent on how often that you're using it. So hot and cold therapy, I'd say, is uh, is right up there as well. Mm. I think we're becoming so sen- no, sensitive, yeah, too sensitized to temperature fluctuation, right? To the point that we can't get too hot, we can't get too cold. Um, you know, I walk out every morning and, you know, you know, the UK weather, it's not always that great unless it's raining. And, in, you know, in, in spring, definitely summer, every single day, um, I've got private lands, this helps, but I'll walk, I'll walk around without my top on because I want the vitamin D I'll, I'll, I, and it's cold. Some days it's eight degrees and it's got a bit of a chill in the air and I just persevere and I do the cold, the cold showers every morning, cold, hot, cold, hot. And I, I love that. Um, and Maybe it's just the stoic in me. Maybe I just like a bit of suffering, uh, unnecessary suffering. But I feel my sensitivity, uh, or I've become less sensitive to cold, which means that I just feel more robust generally as a human being. That I'm not so I'm not such a pussy when it comes to cold. Uh, and then definitely the cold shower in the morning, it's just like I don't know. It's just like a, a slam of adrenaline. Like you come out of that, and I just feel awake, sharp, ready to hit the gym or ready to do some work. So I've been banging on about this for a couple of years. And every time people hear me having a cold shower, they're like, nah, no thanks. You're an idiot. You're a weirdo. Like, Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to hit myself with cold first thing in the morning? It's freezing. I'm going to go in my nice, cozy, warm shower. And I hear them. I understand it. But um, it's great on the other side, man. I just imagine myself under like a a, a rainfall waterfall, like a, a, sorry, a rainforest waterfall or something, and I just imagine being somewhere else. Because, you know, we used to deal with cold bodies of water all the time, you know, once, you know, way back when, before heating was around. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I always keep telling people, do you want to be easier to kill or harder to kill? Because, unfortunately, we're becoming easier to kill all the time. You know, like you said, temperature regulation. Like, I love going up Snowdon when I'm back in Wales, uh, you know, the highest peak there in, in Wales, in the dead of the winter, you know, I love it because, okay, I may hate it at that time, but it's the sacrifice that you have to take in order to enjoy the little things in life, having warm clothes or dry clothes. So you have to have that, um, you know, that sacrifice before the success and it'll, it'll harden you, you know, because I think when you're constantly wanting to baby yourself and look for comfort, and then you're put into a position that may be uncomfortable and you're doing things that you don't want to do, then you're going to be that much more disciplined to persist and go through those things, you know, and that's where success is usually made. It's strength, it's strength physicality, it's strength physiologically and strength mentally and psychologically, these kind of things. I don't think you have to be a true stoic and can go through incredible suffering a little bit of suffering, deliberate suffering, where you kind of drive that homeostasis, I think is very productive. So I'm completely with you with everything you said. I just need to kind of look into that EMF stuff. I, You've spoken about red lights. I'm guessing some form of red light therapy features in your life, or, or do you just use nature for that? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I have a red light rising panel here, and I'll use that. I have a travel one, especially if I'm traveling. A lot of the time I may be, you know, in meetings, seminars, whatever it may be, airports, and I don't get the sunlight. So I definitely need to have the restorative red light uh, during those times. And especially in the winter here in in Idaho, I'm not going to have a chance to get any sunlight uh, at the times that I'd like to have it. And uh, especially for those people, some of my clients that just leave the home 
uh, to go to work in the morning before they have sunlight and they come home after dark. So mm. uh, infrared light is uh, very, very handy during those times. Yeah, I totally agree, man. We've done four. One more and we're done. So, um, yeah, what's the next one down the list? The next one down the list. Good question. So I wouldn't even call this a biohack, actually, so I'll ignore that one. It's, you know, I, I like to participate in some sort of movement in the morning, you know, whether it be... Um, you know, trigger point therapy, flexibility, mobility with a foam roller. I think, you know, that that's very important. But I'd say grounding, earthing okay. is an important one for me. You know, I like to earth myself. Like I, I do have a bed sheet, but, you know, this morning I went outside, got some sunlight and I earthed myself. I've always got my shoes and socks off when I go out there. And I think it's very important, especially, like I said, during this day and age when we're constantly blasted with uh, non-native uh, EMF, you know, well, our Wi-Fi, electromagnetic field, that it's important that we get those negative eons from the earth. You know, I've read a lot about it. I've had Clint Ober on my podcast talk about it, who's the author of Earthing. And there's a great movie that you can see online. I think you can get it. You can see it on YouTube. It's called Earthing the Movie. And uh, so there's a lot of benefits from that, I believe. So, you know, I do like to earth myself uh, whenever possible. And that, in simple terms means taking insulation between you and earth away and experiencing you know being being planted on earth so walking out on grass walking out on the mud uh, can you be can you earth in 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 the sea like is it just like being connected yes. with nature yes yes you can you can obviously if you've got astroturf uh, around uh, around your uh, garden then no that's not going to be earthing or but concrete, you can isn't? like yeah, yeah, no, concrete you can, just okay. not as much. Sto right. Stone you can, for sure. Uh, grass and, you know, the sandy beach is absolutely perfect. And, uh, you know, again, look back to our ancestors. You know, we didn't wear rubber soles. And uh, there was, you know, there was uh, connection with the earth, you know, much like all the animals out there. And I think there's something to be said for that. You know, I, I, I do biohack my environment as well, where I have these things called earthies, which is kind of like a... A metal bar with a sticker on it that goes from the inside of your shoe to the outside. So I'll wear like minimalist shoes right. and uh, I'll use that mostly when I'm traveling because I know I'm going from airport to airplane to hotel in taxi and I'm not connecting with the earth at all. So I'll wear mm -hmm. them because that does give me a, a, the chance to earth if I'm going from, say, the tarmac of the airplane into the airport or from the airport on the tarmac to the, you know, the stone to the taxi. That is a top tip. I love that. I'm going to have a look at those. Chris, you have been fantastic. Um, hopefully, we haven't lost people with like going into some of the stuff that they probably haven't tried before and thinking this is just too much for me. But I think those top five you've just given, they're all accessible. Uh, they've got a lot of science to support them. But more importantly, as I say, as we as we pull away from the millions and billions of, of, of pounds spent on science and all the hours and just our, our obsessive left brain kind of culture of needing the science for everything. Everything you've just said is deeply rooted in nutritional, sorry, in, in traditional wisdom. They all have, as is fasting, as is eating properly. Like we don't need to have a science degree to know how to look after our body, but we kind of need the science today to give our logical mind the reassurance that we should be trying some of these more traditional practices. So thank you for exploring those and bringing the tech to the tradition. I love that. Um, can, no. oh, go on. Was you going to just... Was you no, gonna I was going to say my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. 
Oh, it's been it's been a true pleasure for me. So, um, do you want to just kind of close on letting us know where we can we can find you and your businesses, Chris? Yeah, for sure. So the best place to probably find me is uh, Chris Gethin, K R I S G E T H I N on Instagram, and uh, you know what? My website is healthkick www h e a l t h k i k dot com, and you could find me on either of those platforms. Lovely. Good stuff. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Chris. Um, well done for walking the whole way throughout. That's pretty impressive. And um, Yeah, three miles. Three miles done. <laughs> That's incredible. It's incredible. I need to get me one of those. Anyway, enjoy it. Enjoy the next few weeks. Hopefully, uh, we return to some level of normality over the coming months or so. Um, keep yourself healthy. Um, keep being a leader. Keep producing fantastic content. And hey, I hope we can keep in touch. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, man. Whoa, just before you go, I want to know two things from you, if you would be so kind. Firstly, how did you find that episode? Was it insightful? Was it practical? Has it got you thinking about things differently? If so, do us a huge favor, please, and write us up a quick review in your podcast app, whether it be on Apple or Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other podcast platform. And secondly, have you checked out the Be Your Best journey yet? If you haven't, that's cool, but go to adaptnation.io or click the link within the show notes and just take a look around. See how we put together the messaging as to the value of this online course and program. And if you've got any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. And if you're interested about it, then hey, there's no time like the present. Get involved. It's 100 days of personal growth and self-development. I am sure you're going to get a lot of value from it. Anyway, until next time, I'll let you crack on and be your best. If you enjoy this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might enjoy the show. Feel free to get in touch with us via our website, adaptnation.io, or your favorite social media channel. This has been Adaptation. Till next time, thanks for listening. Adaptation.